We are taught in life to expect certain things. From people, yes, but also from stories. There are typical beats that a story is supposed to hit. This might be why I secretly love Christmas Hallmark movies. Don't tell anyone, it's a guilty pleasure. But Joseph Campbell mapped out the arc of stories. Stories that have been told since stories have been told. In his hero's journey, where, where we're introduced to a hero who is called on some adventure, who meets a threshold moment where they can either stay in the safety of what they've known or venture out into what lays ahead of them. Challenges and temptations are met, along with mentors and friends, often an adorable sidekick. And then, and then they're often led into some sort of dark night, some sort of seemingly insurmountable odds. And when we get to this point, when all hope seems to be lost, we have been trained to ask the question, then what? We know that this is not the end. We know that transformation and atonement will lead our hero out into some new reality that isn't even imagined. But sometimes in life, we don't always get to see the end. And we are left wondering, what happens next? Then what? A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. They came to Jericho. As he and his disciples and a large, large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, call him here. And they called the blind man saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight, for you, O oh God, are our rock, and you are our redeemer. Amen. So in our scripture that Norm just read today from Mark, I couldn't help but asking that question, finding myself wondering, then what? In Mark, Jesus has begun making his journey that will lead him eventually to Jerusalem, toward the end that we all know awaits, his own abyss, the pain of the cross, where he cries out, Father, 
why have you forsaken me? The three days of silence, and then the resurrection. That love light can't be locked away in some tomb. But here, Jesus is traveling toward that inevitable end in life with its, all of its holy interruptions. Jesus is on that famous road to Jericho filled with thieves and bandits where priests and the pious will overlook those left in ditches while Samaritans will save. As Jesus makes his way on this road, he is called out to which is significant because in the Gospel of Mark, unlike Luke or John or Matthew, in the Gospel of Mark, who Jesus was was supposed to be a secret. Jesus was trying to keep his identity hidden. But the word has gotten out in Bartimaeus, who is known for his relationship and his disability, he cries out, Jesus, have mercy. And despite others sternly telling him to be quiet, he refuses. And he cries out to Jesus again, knowing and owning his needs. And Jesus invites him to come. And when Bartimaeus asks to see Jesus, asks, Jesus heals him immediately, saying, your faith has made you well. With other miracles, we know what happens after the miracle. We know that when Jesus heals ten lepers, one remains and is one of his followers. Or that when Jesus heals others, they go forward and they proclaim his name, even though cautioned to keep what has happened secret. But with Bartimaeus, we are left without a tidy ending, asking, then what? How did he respond to the gift of healing and transformation that God gives? How do we respond to that gift in our lives? Then what? In the Gospel of Mark, there is a hilarious and often ignored story. On Monday, Thursday, after the disciples have eaten their bread and drank from the cup, after Judas's betrayal, as the guards come to take Jesus away from that garden, there is, believe it or not, a naked man running around the Garden of Gethsemane. I promise you, you can look it up in your pew Bibles or you can Google it when you get home. Don't pull out your phones now, but I promise you it is true. And there's not much said about this man other than that he is naked and he's running away. No name is given or story told. I remember one of my professors in divinity school saying that in an attempt to figure out if scripture is authentic, scholars will often put it through a variety of tests. And that this story of the naked man in the garden passes many of their tests. That it is likely to have happened because there is absolutely no reason for all the monks and all the puritanical rewritings of scripture for this piece to have made it through. Like many of the sculptures in the Vatican where fig leaves cover the essentials, marring art of some of the greatest masters of the world, this piece of scripture made it through with no fig leaves attached. Regardless of what you think about the naked man, if you think it actually happened or not, 
This strange story was interpreted by early patristic or early church founders as the logical end to a story we heard two weeks ago. That wealthy young man who left Jesus truly disheartened, who was told to give up everything. And in this interpretation, this man naked in the garden truly gave up everything and found himself totally laid bare following Christ until the very end. This story is part of the Christian Midrash tradition of making meaning from seemingly unknowable pieces of scripture. And it speaks to our larger desire. We have a desire to know what happens next. We have a desire for those happy endings for redemption for that young man. Many pastors on this Sunday will preach on the ways that Bartimaeus's faith has made him well and the ways that for us too, faith can make us well. And friends, I deeply believe that faith can heal. But I also know how problematic that is. Because I believe that faith saves, but not necessarily in the literal sense. I've sat by too many bedsides, as parents have watched children die, as partners have had to figure out what to make of life with their beloved gone, as mental health has ravaged young lives on the emergency child psych ward. I've held too many hands in grief to think that God swoops in only for the faithful that God prevents some from getting COVID while hundreds of thousands mourn life without a loved one. God is not cruel. God is not punitive or punishing. God desires goodness, love, justice, and mercy for all of us. God cries with us in pain as Jesus wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. Faith cannot fix broken bodies or the harsh realities of our physical world. But I do believe in the ways that faith can hold us, comfort us, and sustain us, the ways that it can transform us. And so for me, the more important question in Bartimaeus's story is not that faith have, has made him well, but, but the then what? How does Bartimaeus respond? How, how is he altered by his life having been changed? We bought our little house uh, just over four years ago from a woman that I only met once in passing as we were, we were viewing the house and she and her daughters were sitting out on the back deck enjoying a glass of wine. She was an older woman who with her husband raised two girls in our thousand square foot home and Loretta lives and looms large in my mind. I've shared with you all here how every spring and summer I give thanks for her, for the gardens that she's planted and loved tenderly. But even as I wrote this sermon, I was sitting in our living room and I could feel the story of her life around me. The floor-to-ceiling bookshelves that her husband made that line our walls. We've filled the lower shelves now in our our house 
with things that can be thrown off of them because that's the stage that we're at with our daughter, Eliza. And they're filled with many board books. And these days, our growing girl will eagerly go to the shelf and grab a story and bring it to us to join in for a snuggle. And almost before the story is finished, she puts her hands together in the baby sign language for more, more. And off my lap, she scoots back to the shelves to take another book, and a mini mountain slowly stacks next to me on our coffee table. More, more, more. And sometimes, if the story does not go quickly enough, if the plot doesn't progress to her desire, Eliza will fling the book from my arms, waving her hands in frustration. And I think how often I am like Eliza. I want the story to go faster. Maybe I just want to know the end. And I want to fling that book aside in frustration. I'll confess, as I get older, there are more moments where I wish I could slow the story down, or even rewind or pause. But it always keeps going, the inevitableness of time, the then what. And while this is a literary question, it's an, also a question that enters into our lives, our own then what's. While Jesus is the ultimate hero in this story, in his own way, Bartimaeus, too, has been walking his hero's journey. Unlike the man at the pool who waited for years of healing, we have no idea why Bartimaeus is sitting by the roadside. Had he been there for a long time? This crossroads, or, or was he, too, merely passing along on his way to the holy city of Jerusalem? Regardless, he experiences healing. But then what? How are our lives transformed and changed by the holy healing we've experienced? And maybe not in the ways that we read about today in scripture, but in the tiny miracles nestled in the mundane. That they're sometimes combined with good hard work, like a breakthrough with a therapist. That is holy healing or a moment of reconciliation with a loved one, that too is holy healing, or setting up boundaries that help you to honor and nurture your own God light, that is holy healing. Seeing policies that pass that enact justice, that too is holy healing. But how are we called to live in response? Our entire then what a testimony our hero's journey and offering. There isn't one prescribed answer for this question. Each of us discerns what faithful next steps look like. But we too, friends, are called to live in response. May it be so for me and for every one of you. Amen.